Behind the Knife, the surgery podcast, where we take a behind-the-scenes, intimate look at surgery from leaders in the field. Welcome back to Behind the Knife, Medical Student and Intern Survival Guide. The Behind the Knife Medical Student and Intern Survival Guide is a surgical education podcast series that focuses on high-yield topics relevant to medical students and surgical interns. My name is Patrick Georgioff. And I'm Vahag Nikolian. And we are your hosts. We hope you are enjoying the podcast. As always, if you have any suggestions or requests, please shoot us an email. Our addresses can be found in the show notes. Uh, please let us know what you think. We would love to get your feedback. Also, feel free to request specific topics you'd like to hear more about. Yeah, absolutely. The more feedback, the better. Our goal is to get down to the nitty-gritty of surgery topics you absolutely need to know during your surgery rotation and throughout intern year. Yeah, not only are these topics clinically relevant, but they are certain to show up on your shelf, oral exam, and the app site. All the more reason to listen in and get equated with these important topics. All right, with that said, we've got a good one lined up today, malignant breast disease. Oh, boy. Yep, that's it. Uh, it doesn't get much more confusing than surgical management of breast lesions, uh, but the good news is we're trying to break it all down for you today. Yeah, I want to uh, give a big thanks to Dr. Leslie Dossett for reviewing the information included in this episode. By the time you are done listening to this podcast, your understanding of the surgical management of malignant breast masses is going to be on point. Uh, but before we start with a case, we should uh, point out that we are only discussing malignant breast disease today, uh, not benign lesions like cysts or fibroadenomas. Okay, Vaha, you are the surgeon, and a 48-year-old woman comes to your clinic to be evaluated for a breast mass she noticed on self-exam. What kind of things do you need to know? All right, so when seeing a patient with a breast complaint, I like to take a focused history with questions that target three things related to, the, to breast cancer and breast cancer risk stratification. One, you want to look at questions about the mass. Two, questions about risk factors for breast cancer. And three, questions about screening history. With regard to questions about the mass, when did the patient first notice it? Is it painful? Are there any overlying skin changes? Has she noticed any masses before? Any nipple discharge? Has she noticed any enlarged lymph nodes? In terms of risk factors for breast cancer, number two, does the patient have any personal or family history of breast cancer? What's her level of estrogen exposure, including age of menarche, if she's had any children, when she breastfed, and if she has reached menopause? Additionally, if she's ever taken hormone replacement therapy or oral contraceptives. I'd also like to ask about exposure to radiation and would note her weight. Questions about screening, number three, uh, she, has she ever had any mammogram, ultrasound, or MRI performed on her breast? All right, that's a really great summary. We're going to go through those one by one. In regards to the mass itself, she first noticed this two weeks ago. It's not painful. There's no swelling or overlying skin changes. She has never had a mass before. Uh, she thinks it may be getting bigger, but she's really not sure. Uh, she has no dimple discharge, and she has not noticed any enlarged lymph nodes. Okay. Got it. All right. And the, uh, why did you ask about exposure uh, to estrogen? So estrogen exposure in itself, as many of us know, is a risk factor for breast cancer. Some of the information can also be plugged into risk calculators like the Gale model, which can help estimate five-year risk as well as lifetime risk of developing breast cancer. Okay. So this patient has no family history uh, or no personal history of breast cancer. 
She had her first menstrual period at 13 and has not yet gone through menopause. She has two kids, both of whom were breastfed. She has not taken hormone replacement therapy and has no exposure to radiation. And uh, she weighs 260 pounds. And I believe you asked about weight because there is an increased risk of breast cancer in obese patients who are postmenopausal. That's correct. Yeah, and in regards to screening, uh, she has never been screened. So let's take a moment to delve into that a bit. What are the current recommendations for breast cancer screening? All right, screening can be confusing. This is mostly because different societies and guidelines have different recommendations. That said, for average risk patients, all guidelines recommend screening begin by 50 years of age and continue until about 70 or 75 years of age. Some guidelines are now recommending earlier screening beginning at 40 years of age, but this is a decision that you can make on a case-by-case basis. Again, this is all for average risk patients. Right, average risk patients. Okay, so uh, again, so you asked ca- questions about this, or excuse me, you directed your questions to this patient in three main categories. The first category, you want to know about the mass itself, like how long it had been there and if it hurts. Two, uh, what, uh, about the patient's exposure to estrogen. Three, whether or not she has been screened in the past. Okay, uh, so uh, Vahog, the remainder of this patient's medical history and surgical history is unremarkable, and so you opt to move on to her uh, to ex- an exam. Uh, what are some of the key features of a breast exam? Okay, so for the exam, again, break it down to three parts. You want to look at visual inspection, manual inspection of the breast, and then manual palpation of relevant lymph node uh, basins. Okay, so you perform a full cl- clinical uh, exam, and you note a two-centimeter mobile lesion in the upper outer quadrant of the left breast. There are no overlying skin changes. How would you would like to work this patient up? All right, so I would order a diagnostic mammogram and ultrasound of the breast with a core needle biopsy of the mass. Right. This is, this is key. This is a huge point here in this, in this episode. This is a universal workup, okay? A diagnostic mammogram, ultrasound, and core needle biopsy. Uh, we should note that a diagnostic mammogram is different from a screening mammogram, and that includes more views and an immediate evaluation by a radiologist who can order more images uh, if, if they so choose. And also, uh, don't ask for an FNA. Uh, the core needle biopsy is preferred in this setting. Okay, so you order these tests, and the mammogram shows a BIRADS-5 lesion. What does that mean? All right, so BIRADS is a scoring system used to describe mammography results. It ranges from 0 to 6, where higher numbers typically are more likely to be cancer. 0 is an incomplete study, which will need additional evaluation. 1 is negative with no abnormalities. Two is a benign lesion, three is probably malignant, four is suspicious, and five is highly suggestive of malignancy. For uh, six, it's a known biopsy-proven malignancy. In this case, a BIRAD score of five means that the mass is highly suspicious for cancer. Great, and the ultrasound uh, findings were also suspicious as well, and it showed uh, abnormal margins and calcifications uh, of the mass. Okay, and what did the core needle biopsy show? Yeah, the core needle biopsy showed ductal carcinoma in situ with overexpression of estrogen and progesterone receptors. All right, well, malignant disease can either be non-invasive or invasive. By far and away, the most common non-invasive breast lesion is ductal carcinoma in situ, or DCIS. It is is non-invasive because the abnormal ductal epithelial cells have not yet, yet crossed that basement membrane. Invasive tumors include phylloides tumors, invasive lobular carcinoma, and the most prevalent, invasive ductal carcinoma. 
Okay. Uh, I also mentioned hormone receptors. So what are the, the hormone receptors all about? Well, estrogen and progesterone receptors can be found on hormone-influenced tissue like the breast. We're interested in hormone receptor status because it determines which patients may respond to hormone therapy, specifically medications that block the action of estrogen on the breast tissue, and in doing so can inhibit the growth of the tumor. Pathologists will use immunohistochemistry to evaluate these breast specimens for overexpression of these receptors. All in all, about two-thirds of breast cancer patients will have overexpression of hormone receptors. All right, Bahag, we are going to go through treatment options for, for breast disease. But before we do that, I want to say that the treatment of breast cancer uh, is, can be really, really complicated, without a doubt. This stuff is not easy, and you should not expect to know all of this, uh, certainly after a single podcast. So hang in there as we go through these details, because we will summarize it at the end and try to hammer home the most salient points. Now, um, uh, back to our patient. Again, she has a two-centimeter ductal carcinoma in situ that is hormone receptor positive. Uh, Vahag, what are your treatment options? All right. Patients with uh, DCIS undergo local treatment with mastectomy or breast-conserving therapy, which consists of a lumpectomy followed by radiation. A lumpectomy means that you're cutting out just the mass. A sentinel lymph node biopsy, which we will cover in more detail, is usually performed with the mastectomy, but not with the breast-conserving treatment. In regards to hormone therapy, this patient would get five years of tamoxifen, which is a selective estrogen receptor modulator, or CIRM. If the patient were postmenopausal, you could use an aromatase inhibitor like anastasol. Right, so let's, let's unpack that a bit. We are talking here about DCIS, which is a non-invasive disease. All of these patients should be recommended surgery, either mastectomy with sentinel lymph node biopsy or lumpectomy plus radiation. While mastectomy results in decreased local cancer recurrence, there is no survival benefit. As such, this is a scenario in which the patient gets to decide what kind of surgical treatment they would like. And of note, certain patients are not candidates for breast-conserving therapy. For example, those with multicentric disease uh, or those that have small breasts or those that cannot undergo radiation after surgery. All right, Bog, tell me more about sentinel lymph nodes. All right, so according to the sentinel lymph node hypothesis, tumor cells that migrate from the primary tumor will metastasize to a single lymph node before involving others. So a sentinel lymph node biopsy is a procedure that uses radioactive agents as well as a blue dye, typically a blue dye, to help identify that sentinel node. Yeah, so to perform a sentinel lymph node biopsy, the patient's breast is injected with a radioactive agent and also typically a blue dye. The sentinel lymph node is then identified by locating the most prominent area of radioactivity using this uh, wand-like device and, uh, and oftentimes by visualizing that blue node. So this node is particularly important because studies have shown that the false negative rate of a sentinel lymph node biopsy for metastatic cancer is only 5 to 10%. All right, Bahag, what about axillary lymph node dissection? All right, so this refers to surgery in which all the lymph nodes in the armpit are surgically removed. If a patient has clinically positive lymph nodes, that is, you can feel them on exam or they were identified on ultrasound, biopsied, and then found to be positive, then they'll get an axillary lymph node dissection. Alternatively, if a patient's sentinel lymph node biopsy is positive, they may undergo completion axillary lymph node dissection. The recommendations for completion axillary lymph node dissection are continuously evolving, and if you're interested in learning more, please refer to the most recent NCCN guidelines. Great. So let's let's change up the pathology a bit. Let's say this patient now has a two centimeter 
estrogen and progesterone receptor positive and HER2 new positive invasive ductal carcinoma? How would you treat this patient? All right, so this patient has invasive disease now. Treatment for invasive uh, disease in which the axillary lymph nodes are not thought to be involved is very similar to what we discussed with DCIS. Patients may opt to have a mastectomy or breast-conserving therapy, which again consists of lumpectomy plus radiation. However, for invasive early-stage disease, both surgical approaches, both of them, will have a sentinel lymph node biopsy. In select patients undergoing mastectomy, post-surgical radiation can also be recommended. Okay. And in regards to her receptor status, she is triple positive. Right. So that means that we will treat her with hormone therapy and targeted therapy. Hormone therapy will consist of tamoxifen, and targeted therapy will include Herceptin or Perjata. Herceptin and Perjata are monoclonal antibodies that bind and destroy the human epidermal growth factor receptor 2, or HER2, which is a tyrosine kinase mutation that's overexpressed in about 20% of breast cancers. Okay. And what about chemotherapy? All right, great question. Uh, this patient would get chemotherapy, and chemotherapy is indicated in four scenarios. First, triple negative disease that's greater than 7 millimeters. Second, HER2 new positive disease that's greater than 1 centimeter, which would include our patient here. Three, estrogen receptor positive tumors with positive lymph nodes. And four, estrogen receptor positive tumors with without positive lymph nodes, but who have a high oncotype score. The oncotype score is used for patients with estrogen receptor positive disease without nodal metastases. The test uses a 21 gene tumor profile to determine the risk of cancer recurrence and metastases. It ranges from 0 to 100, with 18 or less being considered a low-risk lesion. Okay, let's do a quick review on the treatment of malignant breast disease before finishing off with a rapid-fire session. All right, right on, Bahag. So... So let's see, look at the big picture. There, is no, there are non-invasive and invasive types of breast uh, disease. Uh, the most common non-invasive disease is ductal carcinoma in situ, and the most common invasive disease is ductal carcinoma. Now, biopsy specimens are checked for receptors, which include estrogen, progesterone, and HER2 new. We want to know the receptor status because this helps determine prognosis, and it tells us whether we can give hormonal therapy, like the selective estrogen receptor modulator tamoxifen, or targeted therapy, like the monoclonal antibody Herceptin that targets the HER2 new receptor. For both non-invasive and invasive disease, you can offer mastectomy or breast-conserving treatment to patients. Remember that breast-conserving treatment consists of lumpectomy plus radiation. And uh, while mastectomy results in decreased local cancer recurrence, there is no survival benefit uh, compared to breast-conserving treatment. And uh, you don't want to forget about the axillary lymph nodes as well. A sentinel lymph node biopsy is almost always done unless the patient has ductal carcinoma in situ and has opted for breast-conserving treatment, in which case it is only done on a selective basis. Axillary lymph node dissection is considered when the lymph nodes are positive for disease. And finally, systemic chemotherapy may be used in the following patients. One, triple negative disease that is greater than seven millimeters. Two, HER2 new positive disease that is greater than one centimeter. Three, estrogen receptor positive tumors with positive lymph nodes. And four, estrogen receptor positive tumors without positive lymph nodes 
but with a high Oncotype score. All right, V, uh, that was a doozy. Let's finish off with a rapid fire session. Okay, what does the typical workup for a new breast mass include? All right, so history, physical exam, diagnostic mammogram, ultrasound, and a core needle biopsy. Excellent, and how are those mammograms scored? Using that BI-RADS criteria. Okay, what's the difference in outcomes between lumpectomy plus radiation and mastectomy? All right, mastectomy results in decreased local recurrence, but there is no difference in overall survival. And what do you use to treat tumors uh, that overexpress the estrogen receptor? So you'll use selective estrogen receptor modulators like tamoxifen, or if postmenopausal, aromatase inhibitors like anastrozole. All right, great work on a, a complicated topic there, Vahag. Uh, we appreciate uh, our listeners joining us, and until next time, dominate the day. Behind the Knife, the surgery podcast where we take a behind-the-scenes intimate look at surgery from leaders in the field.